It is the 5th of February, 2021, and I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com, and this is the Room Now podcast. This week, earbuds, pregnancy, persistence of biologics, IL-23, lifestyle, lots of stuff to cover. In fact, this 15-minute podcast could run 30 minutes if I don't shut up and get on with it. Let's get on with it. At the top, we have an interesting study that looks at the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis if you have either Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. This issue came up this past week uh, in one of my patients, looked it up. I was a little bit surprised. The meta-analysis showed some really surprising numbers. Amongst Crohn's patients, a large cohort of Crohn's patients, the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis was threefold higher. Similarly, the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis if you have ulcerative colitis is 2.3. I found these to be surprising. Now, of course, we have the issue of is this seronegative RA in someone with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis? And how do you know it's really seronegative RA versus enteropathic arthritis? Well, in the case of my patient, it actually had a lot to do with whether or not the peripheral arthritis was well controlled when the Crohn's was. In my patient's case, The Crohn's was well-controlled, but the rheumatoid was not. And as you know, peripheral arthritis with enteropathic arthritis run a parallel course, suggesting that there really was two separate diseases going on here. An interesting conundrum, and I really didn't know the risk of RA was that high. You know, Mark Genovese presented uh, two ACRs ago um, about vagal nerve stimulation as a new novel way of providing anti-inflammatory relief to patients with rheumatoid arthritis. This is using an implantable uh, device that was a little bit tricky from a surgical standpoint. Well, this finally got published in Lancet Rheumatology this past um, few weeks uh, and is a worthwhile read. It is a a proof of concept study showing that it in fact works. I mean, surprising numbers. I think ACR20 numbers of around uh, roughly 50% and um, death remission numbers in the 20 or 30% range. Um, a little bit more uh, in further reading about this was that the method of non-invasive vagal nerve stimulation was in fact an earbud. And an earbud that was using well-timed uh, electrical pulse sequences to stimulate the vagus and thereby give you a cholinergic anti-inflammatory loop that would result in lower pro-inflammatory cytokine levels and amelioration of disease. Very novel. This seems very space-age, controlling rheumatoid arthritis by sticking in your Apple earbuds and um, tunes and disease control at the same time. Is that possible? Is that in your future? We'll see. A very interesting study came out this week from NHANES. You know, that's a nationwide survey of many, many patients. This particular survey actually looked at the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis and came away with the conclusion that roughly as much as one-third of the risk of developing RA could be attributable to modifiable factors such as smoking, alcohol intake, and obesity. Actually, it turns out that while smoking and obesity increase one's odds of getting um, rheumatoid arthritis, alcohol actually decreased one's odds of getting rheumatoid arthritis. We know alcohol is, in fact, anti-inflammatory. So in this case, it would be smoking obesity and not drinking enough. Um, So, you know, I I think the idea here is that 
uh, lifestyle modification may lower the risk of disease, especially in an at-risk population. First-degree relative, has seropositivity, no symptoms. Maybe this is important counseling we should consider with our patients. AVI released the data from two uh, large trials with its IL-23 inhibitor, uh, Rizinkizumab, also called Skyrizi. It's now being used in a clinical trial in psoriatic arthritis patients. Um, these was, this is called the Keepsake 1 and the Keepsake 2 trial. In that study, the ACR20 response rates was 57% and 51% um, uh, versus 20, like 34% and 27%. Again, the two different studies, the two different results. Um, impressive results uh, looking like this, like Gaselkamab, could be approved for use in psoriatic arthritis in the future. So we often are concerned about the safety of our patients taking biologic agents, especially when they are pregnant or wish to become pregnant. Um, a meta-analysis of 24 studies in a large number of patients with inflammatory diseases, not just rheumatoid arthritis, basically showed that biologic exposures had no increase in risk for congenital anomalies. The odds ratio is 1.18, overlapped one, not significant. But there was a significant uh, increased risk of preterm birth of 61% uh, and low birth weight of about 68%. This has been reported in other studies. You see those in RA patients, you see those in RA patients on biologics. Uh, a French study looked at the associations with DISH, diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis, also called for SDA's disease. Uh, it turns out that an analysis of 782 men with DISH showed an increased risk of vertebral fractures um, with an odds ratio of almost three, but not an increased risk of non-vertebral fractures sort of be suggested by the um, the brittleness or the um, the um, mechanical features imposed by extra bone being laid down, making it less amenable to forces and fracture and 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 trauma. Um, but nonetheless, I thought that was news infor new information for me and hence for you. Uh, I found a very interesting study that is starting to jive with my thinking on the utility of intraarticular st uh, steroid injections. You know, in the time of COVID, since we've changed a lot of our practices, done arm's length medicine, telemedicine, virtual medicine, uh, my um, steroid injection numbers have gone way down. And it sort of fits with my belief that I really don't think intraarticular steroids are at all effective. There are numerous studies that have shown this, that the long-term effects are basically zero. You could argue that there's a short-term benefit to an intraarticular injection while you're making other therapeutic changes to manage the patient's problem, whether it's osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or whatever. In this particular analysis, um, they looked at uh, patients undergoing repeated multiple intraarticular injections and when there was a comparator group, the placebo group, uh, in this uh, analysis of six randomized control trials showed that intraarticular steroids, when given repeatedly, was no better than placebo um, over the, uh, again, in both uh, these uh, randomized control trials. There was also observational studies that basically showed the downside of repeated steroid injections, and that being mainly cartilage loss and an increased risk in one study for joint replacement. In fact, a two and a half fold increased risk. 
Um, I know it's one of the things that we in rheumatology do well, but frankly, it really doesn't make a difference. Um, and in the time of COVID, not doing them, I don't think my patients are worse off. Um, what do you think? You know, you can actually send me your message and thoughts on uh, TalkBack or BackTalk, I'm sorry, from our, on our website. Uh, another interesting study in the world of psoriasis looked at the low persistence rates in biologic use. Um, so this was a fairly large cohort, looked at patients who were taking uh, either etanercept, adalimumab, galimumab, secukinumab, ustekinumab, and infliximab. Uh, and um, the bottom line was that only about 20% of patients were on a biologic for five years. Um, only about 40% of patients were on that biologic for 20 months. Of all the ones that were studied, maybe secukinumab had an advantage over some of the others. But uh, bottom line is that uh, you know, I would expect that they would have done better here, but they did not. Patients who were at a greater risk for non-persistence on a biologic was mainly women and those who are current smokers. So in the beginning of the pandemic, we talked about a lot of drugs. And one of the things that came out from the French was that, you know, don't take non-steroidals. Well, that was kind of poo-pooed by a lot of people. There was some preliminary data to suggest that non-steroidals were safe in and around COVID infections. And now another, re another report just came out called the Open Safely Analysis. This analysis of two different cohorts that basically said NSAIDs are okay with regard to COVID. In the first cohort, they looked at about um, 500,000 NSAID users and compared that to about 1.8 or 1.9 million non-users of NSAIDs and found no difference in COVID outcomes, mainly COVID-19 related deaths. Um, and another analysis, second cohort, looked at 1.7 million RA and OA patients, 10% of whom were taking non-steroidals. Uh, and is the non-steroidal group that in fact did better meaning they had a lower risk of COVID-19 related deaths, um, almost a 22% uh, lower risk, and that was significant. So either no effect or, if anything, a better effect, going along with the line that if our patients are well-controlled, they seem to have better outcomes with regard to COVID. Speaking of COVID, um, you know, there was a lot, a lot of concern about antimalarials during the pandemic. The Annals of Internal Medicine published some data about adverse events related to antimalarials. Most of this data is based on hydroxychloroquine. Some of it is based on chlor uh, chloroquine itself. But ADRs, adverse drug events in 2020, um, were significantly increased, actually double that seen in 2018 and 2019. Moreover, serious adverse events with the antimalarials were considered serious in 2020 uh, at the rate of 97% of them were serious adverse events. I find that surprising. But then again, this data is actually data drawn from the adverse event reporting system uh, from the FDA. So maybe only the worst things get reported. So again, in 2020, 97% of the, of the antimalarial reports were SAEs. This is much higher than what was seen, again, in 2018, 2019, where it was 73% and 85%, suggesting, again, maybe when these drugs were given to patients who shouldn't get it, um, and patients who had more, who were sicker, meaning they had COVID and they had comorbidities, that worse things were going to see. That's backed up by the number of fatalities. 5% fatalities in 2020 on from antimalarials versus 3% in 2018 and 1.9% in 2019. 
Not good. More bad news for hydroxychloroquine. New England Journal reported this week that uh, when given as a post-exposure therapy to patients who were COVID-19 positive, it actually did not prevent progression or outcomes. So these are people who, uh, uh, over 1,100 who were contacts of, that were, to COVID and were COVID positive, received hydroxychloroquine. This was, I believe, an open-label study. And another 1,200 received usual therapy. Uh, and it turns out that um, the outcomes were the same between the groups, meaning that uh, development of symptomatic COVID infections was relatively low, 57 to 6.2% in those that were treated with hydroxychloroquine and those that were, uh, were just were not with standard of care. Moreover, again, the use of hydroxychloroquine was not associated with uh, a lower incidence of uh, SARS-CoV-2 transmission. Uh, last report is going to be about a follow-up to what we reported last Friday, um, where a press release from um, the manufacturers of, of Tofacidna warned us of uh, some cardiac signals and some cancer signals that were seen in its long-term safety study called the Oral Surveillance Study. That has gone one step further this week with the FDA issuing a drug safety communication to healthcare um, workers, basically uh, letting us know that there have been reports of serious cardiac-related outcomes and cancer events in this trial. This is a, a post-approval, uh, regulatory-required um, safety study, long-term safety study, wherein patients who are at risk for safety events with rheumatoid arthritis were randomized to receive either adalimumab or um, the 5 milligram BID or the 10 milligram BID dose of tofacitinib. Um, and as you know, the, we reported in the past that from this study, there is an increased risk at the higher dose of uh, thrombotic events and also uh, cardiac events, including cardiac deaths. So that became a warning in the, uh, uh, in the package insert for tofacitinib. Now this is an extension where they're saying that there's cardiac problems in general. Overall, that the MACE events that were seen in this study was uh, a 9.8 um, on the JAK inhibitor versus 7.3 per 1,000 patient years or a 33% increased risk of MACE major adverse cardiac events in those that were on the tofacitinib. And for cancer, uh, it was 11.3 versus 7.7 per 1,000 patient years or a 48% increased risk of developing uh, um, a non-melanoma um, uh, skin cancer-related non-skin cancer um, malignancy uh, if you were taking tofacitinib. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think that the FDA and Pfizer will be working on the data to get some clarity as to what exactly um, uh, was seen here and who might have been at risk. Uh, uh, while this doesn't look good, I think, for uh, tofacitinib, I think, to be fair, the patients who entered this trial were sick patients. They had a lot of comorbidity. They were supposed to be at risk for cardiac events and infection, um, not necessarily DVTs and whatnot, but nonetheless, this is a fairly sick cohort who were then given these drugs, and I'm not surprised that, that some signal occurs here. Where this is going to pan out remains to be seen. Is this a uh, tofacitinib-only phenomenon, or is this a JAK inhibitor-related um, issue? We don't know that it's a, uh, it's a class issue. Right now, we can only say that this is tofacitinib. Um, baricitinib and upadacitinib have their own 
long-term safety studies in play, uh, and we haven't heard anything from them as yet. So we'll see. Maybe with time, um, these jack inhibitors that look very, very good from the outset could have an Achilles heel. Um, but that still it really needs to be defined. Uh, and right now, in the spotlight has been tofacitinib. That's it for this week on the Room Now podcast. Be sure to check out roomnow.live. Register for a fabulous meeting and a fabulous faculty. The agenda and the faculty is up. Take a look at it. Talk to you next week.